The following audio is from First Baptist Pelham in Pelham, Alabama. More information about First Baptist Pelham is available at fbcpelham.org. Praise the Lord for that. Thank you, Paul, the choir, praise team. What a wonderful time of worship that was, and he indeed is here. And I'm glad you're here this morning. It's good to have Dave and Janet Jean with us this morning. They were members here for a long time, lived over in Chandelure, and uh, were dear friends as well as church members. We spent a lot of time together with them. And they've come back to visit with us today. It's always good to see them, have them. You know, when you're a former member at First Baptist Pelham, I want you to know you're always welcome here. We want you to feel like this is home, and we're always glad to see you. Well, take your copy of God's Word, please, and turn to the Gospel of Luke, Luke 19, verses 11 through 27. I'm still preaching uh, about the family. There's a, uh, a phrase that sometimes I use when I marry a couple and say, till death do us part. And uh, several years ago, I realized that a lot of marriages were ending in divorce, not because of death, but because of debt. And for many years, I had a theory on that, and I said, uh, the biggest problem in marriage today is money problems. If you come to me and you've got a personal problem, we can talk about that, we can pray, and we can overcome that. You come to me and you've got a spiritual problem, we can do the same thing with that. But if you come to me with a money problem, it's going to take more than just sitting in my office and talking and praying to fix that. And I used to say that the problem, biggest problem in marriage was finances. And one day a very wise man came alongside me and he said, uh, Mike, I need to tell you something. And I said, what's that? He said, you're wrong. And I want to tell you, when somebody tells me I'm wrong, I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it one little bit. And I said, well, pray tell me why I'm wrong. And he said, finances are just the symptom. Selfishness is the cause. And I've come to realize that was a wise saying. And I appreciate him taking time to correct me. Because I know I'm not always right. And I certainly was wrong about that. And I want to talk to you today about an important subject in marriage. About how to handle finances and we're taking one of the parables Jesus told. In fact, this is the last parable that Jesus told before he entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And let me set the stage here. He is leaving Jericho where Zacchaeus has just gotten saved. And the last words before the text are these words that we love so much. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. I don't know if you realize it or not. But when Jesus said those words, he said, Today, Zacchaeus has been saved. Hallelujah. And he said, For the Son of Man has come to do what? Seek and save. I want to tell you, if you're here today and you don't think God loves you, you don't have a clue about how much God loves you. Because Jesus Christ came not just to seek people, but he came to save people. Those were the last words he said until he spoke this parable. Let's show our respect for the reading of God's word by standing, please. And this is the word of the living God. As they were listening to this, he went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem and they thought the kingdom of God was going to appear right away. Therefore, he said, a nobleman traveled to a far country to receive for himself authority to be king and then return. He called ten of his slaves, gave them ten minas, and told them, Engage in business until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We don't want this man to rule over us. 
at his return, having received the authority to be king. He summoned those slaves he had given the money to so he could find out how much they made in business. The first came forward and said, Master, your mina has earned ten more minas. Well done, good slave, he told him. Because you have been faithful in a very small matter, have authority over ten towns. The second came and said, Master, your mina has made five minas. So he said to him, You will be over five towns. And another came and said, Master, here is your mina. I have kept it hidden away in a cloth because I was afraid of you, for you're a tough man. You collect what you didn't deposit and reap what you didn't sow. He told him, I will judge you by what you have just said. You evil slave. If you knew I was a tough man, collecting what I didn't deposit and reaping what I didn't sow, why didn't you put my money in the bank? And when I returned, I would have collected it with interest. So he said to those standing there, take the mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. But they said, Master, he has ten minas. I tell you that everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have will be taken away. But bring here these enemies of mine who did not want me to rule over them and slaughter them in my presence. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. You may be seated. Jesus was about important business. He had walked through Jericho. And as he walked through Jericho, he spotted Zacchaeus in a tree. And he called Zacchaeus down out of the tree and said, I'm going to your house today. And a wonderful thing happened. When Jesus came to Zacchaeus' house, Zacchaeus got saved. And he was a hated man. He was a tax collector. But I want to tell you, we ought to rejoice when anybody gets saved. That's cause for rejoicing. Zacchaeus had gotten saved. And, and Jesus reminded the disciples, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. And then they were traveling on to Jerusalem. Now, when you go to Jerusalem, I loved it this morning. The first song we sang in the 8 o'clock service uh, was, We're Marching to Zion. And I told Paula, you know where I was the last time I sang that song? I can tell you right where I was. I was standing on the Mount of Olives. I was looking across the Kidron Valley. I was looking at the Eastern Gate in Jerusalem. And we sang Marching Design. I love that. Now, some of you say, well, you just rubbed it in. We didn't get to go to Israel with you. Well, I have good news for you. If you love Jesus, one day you will go to Israel. And you'll get to live there for a thousand years. It won't cost you a dime. And you won't have to fly 13 hours on an airplane to get there. I'll tell you, you're going to march to Zion one day. But when you go from Jericho, Jericho's in the Jordan River Valley, you go up 3,300 feet to Jerusalem. Now, Donnie, the tallest mountain in Alabama is Mount Chihau. It's about 2,800 feet. So if you go from Jericho to Jerusalem, you're going about 500 more feet than the tallest mountain in Alabama. That's, that's a pretty steep climb. And while they were going up those heights in the Judean wilderness, Jesus told them a story. Now, I want to read a scripture from Moses. The last time Moses addressed the Hebrews was in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy means the second giving of the law. 
And you know, God had given them the law before. He'd given them the law in Exodus. He'd given them the law in Leviticus. But now Moses is about to die, and so he reiterates what he said before. And he says to the Jewish children going into the promised land, remember that the Lord your God gives you power to gain wealth. In order to confirm his covenant, he swore to your fathers as it is today. Moses was teaching them an important thing. We do not determine our income. God determines our income. And I know this has been a tough few years. I remember several years ago when the big recession hit, and I had a, a, some money in a retirement account, and uh, all of a sudden, uh, within just a few days, half my money was gone. And uh, I called out to the people that handled the Southern Baptist Convention's annuity, Guidestone, and I said, man, what happened to my money? And they said, well, the stock market fell, and your retirement was in the stock market, and so you lost half your money. And I said, hey, I'm not getting any younger. I'm going to want to retire someday. And they said, well, don't panic. I thought, panic my foot. I'm going to come out there and pull every hair out of your head. That's what I'm going to do. And they said, oh, just leave it alone. It'll come back. And it did, it did finally come back. You know, it took a long time for it to finally come back. I kept putting more money in to get it back where it was before. But I'm not worried about retirement. I know I'm going to be on a fixed income. I know we're not going to make the money we've made in the past. But I hope we don't have to need the money we've made in the past. We want to simplify and downsize and, and, and spend more time with family. And I still want to preach some. Mary's going to play the piano. She's going to teach piano. We're not just going to sit over there at the house in, on, on uh, Cedar Cove Lane and look at each other uh, in retirement. We're, we're going to try to be active and do things. And, and I'm excited about that. But I want you to understand, Uncle Sam does not control my income. The president does not control my income. This church really doesn't control my income. My income and your income comes from God. We need to acknowledge him as the source of our income. Moses told the people, God gives you the power to gain wealth. Well, notice the story. He went on to tell a parable. Why would he tell a parable? Well, he's walking with his disciples. He wants them to understand it. And in case there's some people in there that shouldn't have been there, in case there's some spies from the Pharisees or the Sadducees or the high priest or the, 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 the people that ran the temple, uh, he wanted to tell them a story they wouldn't understand, but the disciples would understand. And a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That's the simplest definition of it. And then notice the place. He was getting close to Jerusalem. In fact, the very next passage is the triumphal entry after this. So he was getting close to Jerusalem. And here was the purpose. They thought, the disciples thought, the kingdom of God was going to appear right away. Now let me just say, even the disciples didn't understand what kind of kingdom it was. They wanted an earthly kingdom with an earthly king who reigned on an earthly throne and would overthrow Rome and all the other world powers and put Israel back where they had been under David and under Solomon. That was not the kind of king Jesus was. He came to bring the kingdom of God to earth not the kingdom of man to God. And so we need to understand that. The kingdom is near, but not like the disciples thought. They were mistaken about that. And in the story, this man owned slaves. Now, I want to say this up front. This does not mean that Jesus condoned slavery. Slavery is an abhorrently evil practice. The Bible does not ever condone slavery. In fact, some of the most famous people in the Bible were slaves. Joseph was a slave. The children of Israel were slaves. 
A lot of people in the Bible were slaves. Onesimus was a slave in the New Testament, and he had run away from his master. And Paul said, go back to your master, Onesimus. And he wrote to his master and said, take him back and don't punish him because he's not your slave anymore. He's your brother in Christ. The Bible does not advocate slavery, but it acknowledges that there was slavery. By the way, there's still slavery in the world right now. There's slavery in the United States of America. Women are held captive and used for the pleasure of men. It's called white slavery. And it goes on in the United States of America. It's illegal, but it goes on. Slavery has been a universal problem. And so he called 10 of his slaves. Notice the group. He called 10 of them. The Bible, in the Bible, the number 10 stands for completion. There are 10 generations from Adam to Noah. After Noah, God said, I've got to, after Noah and his family, I've got to wipe the earth clean. I've got to start fresh. There were 10 generations from Adam to Noah. There were 10 plagues on Egypt. There were 10 commandments on Mount Sinai. The tithe is a tenth of all possessions. 10 is used 242 times in Scripture, and tenth is used 79 times. 10 signifies testimony, law, and responsibility. So in this story, Jesus says he calls 10 of his slaves. Now, some of you are going to get upset because some of you are like Philip. Philip was the disciple who was always figuring things out. If Philip were here today, he would have a pocket protector, and he would have five or six pins. Now, if you're a Philip, don't, don't take offense. I'm just telling you what Philips are like. Uh, just remember, Philip the figurer. He, if he were here today, he'd not only have a pocket protector with six or seven pins in it, he would also have a calculator in that pocket protector so he could pull out his calculator and figure out some numbers. But he called 10 of his slaves. Don't try to figure everything out because we're only going to hear from three of them. You say, what happened to the other seven? Well, we'll just have to ask Jesus that when we get to heaven. Uh, you say, you really think we'll have to ask him? No, we won't have to ask him because I believe in heaven, and I believe I'm right on this. In heaven, the Bible says, we shall know as we are known. That means I don't need to take my list to heaven, all the things I'm going to ask God. First of all, how in the world would I get it there? You say, well, you could write it down on a piece of paper, and Mary could stick it in your coat when you, when you put it in the coffin. And I thought, well, yeah, but we bury that thing, and when it comes out, it comes out a resurrected body. It doesn't need clothes because it's clothed in the glory of God. So I can't get that. But I, I want to promise you this. When you close your eyes in death, and you open your eyes in eternal life, and you see Jesus, you are going to be far smarter and have greater understanding than you ever had here on earth. There won't be any questions. Why did God allow suffering? Why did God allow evil? I don't understand all that. Last night we went to a beauty pageant. And this little girl, this beautiful little girl, got up on, on the platform and she walked out there. And she walked out on the platform and all of a sudden I noticed something happened that didn't happen with the other little girls. This lady came up on the platform behind her. And that lady would tell her exactly what to do. And the little girl was, was kind of timid and shy. You could tell this was something new to her. And when she stepped up front, I realized she was a special needs child. She had on a beautiful dress. Her hair was beautiful. And she did everything that little lady told her to do. I was crying like a woman. You say, you go to a beauty pageant and cry like a woman? My heart went out to that little girl. And I said, she wasn't in Lily Grace's group, 
I wouldn't have said this if she was in Lily Grace's group. But I said, you know, if I was a judge, I'd select her queen of the whole thing. And Mary said, that's why they don't let you judge. And uh, after it was over, she came down and got right in front. She was so precious. Now, I don't understand. I don't understand why things like that happen. I don't understand why, why some children are abused. I, I don't understand why some mothers kill their own children. There's a lot of things on earth I don't understand. But I want to promise you this. When we get to heaven, we'll understand. We'll understand why we'll have the mind of Christ. There won't be anything we don't know. Hey, we'll be know-it-alls in heaven. But if you start bragging about it, they might put you in jail. I don't know. No pride in heaven. Got to be humble in heaven. But there was a group, ten of them. Then he gave them a gift. Notice that. He called ten of his slaves and gave them ten minas. And they say, what's a mina? It's uh, equivalent to a hundred drachmas. That helps you a lot, doesn't it? If you got a minor, you got a hundred drachmas. Well, let me go a little further. Each drachma was a day's wages for common workers. In other words, a minor was what one worker would be paid for four months' labor. Now, let me just say this. If you make $3,000 a month, uh, a minor to you would be about, about uh, $12,000, three or four months' salary. That's a lot of money. These are slaves. They've never had anything. And so the master gives them all the mina, and he says, I'm going off to receive the kingdom. And we're told a little something here that you almost miss if you don't look at it again. Look at verse 14. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we don't want this man to rule over us. Remember that. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. But he went on his trip to receive the kingdom, and the goal was to engage in business until I come back. What he said was, you take, he gave, took ten slaves, gave eight, each slave one minor, one minor, four months' salary, and said, I'm going to leave this with you. I'm going to ask for an accounting when I get back. He said, engage in business until I come back. The slaves were expected to use the one minor that they had been given to produce gain for their master. Now, we're not told how long he went off. We are told that this group sent a delegation saying we don't want him to reign over us. But evidently, whoever was in charge of making him king didn't listen to them because he was made king anyway. And look at this. At his return, having received the authority to be king. Now remember that. At his return, having received the authority to be king. He is sovereign now. Before he was a man that owned some servants. But now he comes back. He is not a man that owns servants. He is the king. He's in charge. And so he comes back. And what's the first thing that he does? He summoned those slaves he had given the money to. He calls them in. Now listen, again, don't let this bother you that he gave out ten minas to ten slaves and we only have the accounting of three of them. The point of the story is more important than what happened to the other seven, all right? If that bothers you, don't worry about it, all right? You know, you can't make all the points of a parable fit. It's a story. By the way, you know what the Bible is? It's a book of stories. It's a book of stories. It starts with a creation story. Don't ever say to me the creation myth. I might straighten you out on that. Now, there's some myths in this world, but the creation story is not one. 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I believe that since I was a little bitty boy. I'm going to believe that till the day I die. And if I can believe that, I can believe anything else in God's word. But he summoned those slaves he had given the money to. And then notice what he's going to do. So he could find out how much they had made in business. Now the word business in the story is pragmatuomai, from which we get our English words pragmatic and practical. And so he calls on three of them to give an account. Well, here comes this first guy. He's a type A personality. And he comes up and he says, hey, master, you gave me one and I made ten. Here's eleven minus. And what does the king do? Man, he is thrilled. Man, he applauds him. He says, well done. Good job. Guess what? You were faithful over one minor. I'm going to put you in tar- charge of ten cities. Now think about that. Here he went away, the master of the slaves. He comes back, the sovereign, the king. And the king says, well, now I'm ruler over this, this whole country. I'm giving you ten cities to rule. Don't you think that servant felt like that was, that was something that, that he had done a good job with? He felt rewarded when he was given ten cities. Then he calls a second slave. And the second slave says, Master, here's the one minor you gave me, and I won five more. I got five more to present to you. And he says, well, I'll put you over five cities. Now, notice he doesn't really lavish quite as much praise on this servant as he did the first one. But he says, you're still going to be in charge of five cities. You made five minors, you're going to get five cities. And then here comes number three. Number three is kind of standing there, and he's kind of shuffling his feet. Won't look up at him. He said, well, I knew you was a hard man, and here's your minor back. What did he do with it? He wrapped it in a napkin and hid it because he said, I don't want to lose this man's minor. He's a hard man, and if I lose this minor, I'm going to be called to account for it. So I don't want to lose anything. You see, sometimes you have to be willing to lose something to gain something. You have to be willing to let things. And, and, and what did the master say? He said, well, if you'd put it in the bank. I'd have had interest. Good luck today with that. Man, I remember when you could get 6% on a passbook. We'll never see those days again. I went to the banker the other day and I said, if I have an account balance, what percentage do I earn? I think it was one ten thousandth of a percent. And I said, well, thank you all for being so liberal and, 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 uh, and helping me make money in my, my, my retirement days. Uh, but at least he would have gotten some interest on it in the bank. You know what? The king was mad. He said, you wicked, lazy slave. He said, take away his mina and give it to the one that had ten. And the people that were in the mina giving business said, wait a minute, master. This guy already has ten minas. He said, now he's going to have eleven. Give it to him. Because he said, those who have will be given. And those who don't have it will be taken away. That's a law of stewardship. If you aren't willing to give God back what he's in, a portion of what he's given you back to him, then you're not going to get any more. That's, that's a scriptural law. It's a spiritual law. Let, let me just tell you something. If, you, if your marriage is in trouble financially, there are several things you need to do. First of all, we do financial peace university around here at least once a year. We used to do it every semester in discipleship training. We may need to get back and do that because so many people 
in America are upside down on their home loan, upside down on their car loan, upside down on their credit card bills. I want to tell you, when you are in debt, listen to me, when you are in debt, you are enslaved to the people you owe the money to. Our church is in debt. We make our payments every month. In fact, uh, we try to make a little extra payments on it. It's paid down. I remember when it was over $12 million. Now it's down under $8 million. That's a lot of money, but we're paying away on it. But you say, what if we don't pay the debt? Well, we'll probably be meeting out in the, over at the annex, I guess. We could probably get enough money to scrape up and pay off the annex debt and meet over there. It'd be kind of tough. Parking's not good. It's down in a hole. I don't know. We might have to stand uh, have to have standing room only to have church. We're paying that debt off. Let me tell you why we're paying that debt off. Because our first commitment is to God. We're giving money to missions. We're giving 14 cents out of every dollar to missions. You put a dollar in an offering plate this morning, 14 cents goes straight to missions. We give an accounting, and Linda, help me with this. If I'm wrong, you tell me. But don't tell me out loud because it'll embarrass me. I'll just tell me this week, and I'll straighten it out next week. But I believe, if, and I don't think I'm wrong on this, we finally total up at the end of most every year, we end up taking in about two and a half, between two and a half and maybe three million dollars. And out of that, we give nearly $500,000 in some way or another to missions. Either through the cooperative program, Lottie Moon, our missions program. We send out people on mission trips. I mean, we, and we send people, the senior adults are going to New Orleans. Uh, the children or young people are going to go to Atlanta. Uh, that sometimes they go overseas. Sometimes we have three or four. Brother Sam, where are you? Back there in the back. Brother Sam, I liked you a lot better when you sat down front. I just want to tell you that. I could see you better. Oh, he, he's getting close to the back door. All right. Brother Sam takes people to Peru for E3. We have other people that go with other places. Listen, we believe in missions. God has enabled us to pay down that loan because we put missions first. We take missions out, we're in trouble. You see, here's the priority. We give more than a tithe back to God. We give 14%. A tithe is 10%. And whatever, whatever is over and above that, that's an offering to missions on our behalf. Here's the way to make sure you don't have financial problems in your marriage. You take the first 10%. Now listen to me. Take the first 10%. Don't take, what's don't take what's left over after you pay your bills. There probably won't be anything. And that's why you're in trouble. You take the first 10%. I remember the first time I ever told a couple in financial trouble that. They came to the office and they said, uh, who in this church does financial counseling? I said, me. And, I, and they said, are, are you a certified financial planner? I said, no, I'm a scriptural financial planner. And they said, well, we can't pay our bills. I said, you've come to the right place. And I said, how much are you giving to the Lord's work? And they said, you didn't hear us. We can't pay our bills. And I said, how much are you giving to the Lord's work? And they said, listen, you're not listening to us. We can't pay our bills. I said, how much are you giving to the Lord's work? They said, is there anybody else that does financial counseling in this church? I said, nope, not till you get through me. And they said, man, we can't give money to God. We can't pay our bills. I said, well, let me, let me just ask you this. If you take the next paycheck you get and give 10% to God, and then you get the next paycheck and give 10% to God, and, and you do that for about three months, and you can't pay your bills after three months, I want you to come back and tell me. And I said, whatever you gave to the church, I'll, I'll have, there's a man in the church who's promised he'd do this. He'll write you a check for what you've given to the church, and you can take that and apply it to your bills. 
And they said, are you serious? I said, I'm as serious as I can be. And they said, now tell us again. I said, here's what you do. You take the first 10% and give it to the Lord's work through, his, through the storehouse, the church. And I said, then you take the other 90% and you pray about it. And I said, and your goal is to only spend 80% of the 90% and take 10% of the 90% and put it in savings. And they said, we don't see how in the world that would work. And I said, well, it's, I mean, it's guaranteed. What are you, you going to lose? I've already told you the guy's going to write you a check after three months. They said, all right, we'll do it. They didn't wait three months. After the first month, they came and they said, you know what? And I said, what? They said, we paid all our bills this month. I said, well, good. And they said, and we were able to put some money in the bank. I said, well, good. And they were surprised. Beloved, do you think you can outgive God? Do you really think that? That's ridiculous. We have a little teaspoon, and we shovel it into God's work. That little teaspoon, shoveling it into God's work. And you know what God does? He takes a big old cold scoop, 10 times, 10,000 times bigger than your little teaspoon. And he, we shovel our teaspoon in, he shovels that cold shovel out on us. Because you can't outgive God. Jesus himself said it is more blessed to give than receive. Some of you are in financial bondage because you haven't learned to give 10% to God, pray about the other 90%. And by the way, let me tell you this, when you pray about the other 90%, there are things you won't buy. I remember one time I got a hankering for something, and I said, I deserve it, I'm going to buy it. And I did a thing that I teach you to do. I said, Lord, I'm, I'm thinking about doing this. The Lord said, you don't need that. And I said, yeah, Lord, but I want it. He said, but you don't need it. And I said, yeah, Lord, but I really want it. And he said, well, you want it bad enough to sever fellowship between me and you? I said, no, Lord. You say, did you buy it? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Now, do I feel like I can't live without it? No. Do I, did I really need it? No. I was glad God said no. Listen, that's what being a follower of Jesus is all about. When he says go, we go. When he says no, he means no. We need to learn that. He summoned them. He wanted to find out what they did. Well, the first slave took, rose 10 towns and got an extra minor. The second slave rose five towns. The third slave lost his minor. You say, what happens to the other seven? Don't worry about it, Philip. You'll find out when you get to heaven. But I want to tell you this, and I'm through. Everybody in this building is one of these three people today. You're in one of these three groups. There were three groups. There was a good slave, the bad slave, and the enemy. You see, there were some people who didn't want Jesus to be king. They were called Jews. And they put him on a cross. Pontius Pilate approved it. Herod approved it. The Jews cried out for it. They said, we don't want this man to be king. Three characters in this story. A good slave, a wicked slave, or the enemy. You see, there's no neutral ground with Jesus. You are either Jesus' friend or you are Jesus' foe. And I want to tell you this, Jesus wants you to be his friend. 
You say, oh, he wouldn't want me to be. He, Jesus doesn't know what I've done. Sure he does. He know what's, knows what you've done. That's why he died on the cross. That's why he came to do, not just seek the lost, but save the lost. If he could save an old tax collector like Zacchaeus, he can save you. Don't you think Jesus doesn't love you? Oh, I, every now and then I hear these people say, well, you know, Brother Mike, I just think Jesus was a good teacher. There's a Greek word for that, hogwash. Jesus wasn't a good teacher. If he wasn't God, he was a liar. Listen to me. Don't look at me like a calf looking at a new gate. If Jesus wasn't who he said he was, he wasn't the son of God, then he was an imposter and he was either crazy or evil. And he was neither of those. He was authentic. Now, don't be a foe of Jesus. What happens to these foes? Well, there it says it right there. He said, but bring here these enemies, there's that word enemy, of mine who did not want me to rule over them and slaughter them in my presence. 70 A.D., the Roman army destroyed Jerusalem. Most of the men were killed, many of the women, some of the children were killed. The rest who weren't killed were taken into captivity and scattered around the world. And until 1948, they never had a home. They wandered the world because they rejected their king. I hope you're not an enemy of Jesus. And I hope you're not a wicked slave. You say, how, how could I be a wicked slave if you don't obey him? He said, why do you call me Lord and Master and you don't do what I tell you to do? Listen, his commandments are, are, are easy. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then after the upper room, he said, love one another as I have loved you. You say, well, isn't that number two? No, that's number three because he said, love your neighbor whether he's a Christian or not. But then he said, you love brothers and sisters like I love them. If we don't love each other in this church like Jesus loves us, we're not doing what he commanded us to do. Young people, if you don't love the boys and girls that you go to school with that go to this church, if you don't love them, you're not obeying the command of Jesus. Every one of us is in this story. Good slave, wicked slave, or enemy. If you came in this morning as a good slave, I want to give you an attaboy. Keep it up. God will bless you. You don't need me to tell you that. You already know that. God will bless you. If you came in this morning, you say, oh, Brother Mike, I didn't even realize it, but I'm a wicked slave. Well, guess what? There's still time to change things. Surrender today to God. Some of you aren't reading your Bible. Some of you aren't winning souls. Some of you are not as active as you ought to be. Some of y'all ought to be singing in this choir up here. You say, why are you always pushing that? Well, you need to use your talents for God. I've told you, some of y'all sing in the shower. And you, and you sound good in the shower. You say, well, I'm afraid if I got in the choir loft, I wouldn't sound good. Well, Paula can tell you whether you sound good or not. Don't worry about it. Just come on. If you mess up the choir, she's going to tell you in a nice way. She's going to say, you just need to sing a little softer. But hey, you can stand up there and smile, love Jesus in the choir. Listen, in the old days, people had an advantage of sitting in the choir. They couldn't come out in the congregation. Brother Sam, you remember that. And at Church Street, we didn't have room to put them in the congregation at Church Street. They had to look at the back of my head. 
I had many choir members say, I sing in the choir because the back of your head looks a whole lot better than the front of your face does. I, I like to back up Brother Mike. Hey, I don't care if that's why you sing in the choir. Sing, do something for God. Do something for God. Sing in the choir. Work in upward basketball. Teach a Sunday school class. Work in the nursery. Volunteer for about Do something. Because if you're not serving, guess what kind of a servant you are? A servant who does not serve is wicked. Wicked. Now I know there's a Broadway show called that, but this kind of wicked is not funny. Or then, and there, and there may be some people here today, and you've never trusted Jesus Christ. And you say, well, I don't really think I'm his enemy. I'm just neutral about Jesus. Hear his words. He that is not with me is against me. And he that gathereth not for me scattereth abroad. What are you? Good servant. Evil servant. Enemy. You're a friend or a foe. And you know what you are. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this story. Lord, you made it so crystal clear and so plain. If we're not for you, we're against you. And Father, there may be some people here today and they've really not realized they're sitting on the fence when it comes to Jesus. They like to hear stories about you and they like to sing songs about you, but they've never really committed their life to you. They're just as lost as Zacchaeus was when you walked into Jericho. But just like when you walked into Jericho and saw Zacchaeus in that sycamore tree and you told him to come down and you went to his house, he was gloriously saved and you will save to the uttermost anyone who calls on you today. Thank you for that, Lord. Because you came to seek and to save the lost. Well, Father, if we're not an enemy, then we have to be a servant. And if we're a servant, we're either a good servant or a wicked servant. A good servant does what his master wants him to do. An evil servant does what he wants to do. Father, I pray that there would be no evil servants who would leave this building this morning. I pray when people get up from their pews in a few moments and walk out the door, they're going out as a good servant and follower of Jesus Christ, who is our King and our soon coming King at that. And Lord, I pray that you take the truth of this message. There are some people today, I don't know who they are, but they needed to hear this. You put it on my heart. You burned it in my soul. And Lord, I pray today that those who have ears to hear We'll listen to what you have said through your word today. For Jesus' sake, I ask it. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about First Baptist Pelham and other free resources like this one, log on to fbcpelham.org.